Welcome into Natchez Glen House Stories. There is one flower. There's two flowers, if I'm being honest, people. There's one flower that I get a tremendous amount of questions about. And there's clearly a romance with, and I completely get why that romance exists. But to really get a, a full view of this flower, I think it's a really important thing to see where it's being grown, how it got there. And if you want to talk peonies in the last 20 years, one of the most exciting places to talk about is peonies being grown in Alaska. Joining me is Martha Lujeski, who runs sales for the Alaskan Peony Cooperative. And yes, you heard this right, the Alaskan Peony Cooperative. Martha, I think the first question I've got to ask here that I know a little bit about, but clearly you're the person to go to on this. I've seen some things that the, the, the idea of growing peonies was maybe like late 90s, early 2000s. Is that accurate for when people started to think of it as maybe a, a small-scale flower crop that could be grown in Alaska? Yeah, I think it was early 2000s. Um, there's a botanical garden up at the university in Fairbanks, and they're an agriculture university, and that botanical garden just was like any other botanical garden. They had beautiful plants and little signs, and there was a man from the Netherlands walking through with one of the researchers up there, and he happened to notice that there was peonies blooming in July, and one thing led to another, and he told them, do you realize what you're sitting on? And do you realize there's no peonies blooming right now? And how are these blooming now? And so they just uh, did a bit of research, some test plots in various portions of the state over a period of five years and found out that it would actually work. And it wasn't just a fluke that they were growing on this beautiful south-facing hill in Fairbanks. And they found a lot of ways how to not grow peonies in Alaska. And um, the more research that we got and the more support we got and the more industry um, advice that we got, it just kept growing and growing and it really gained a lot of traction. And there's yeah. now, I think, 280 growers up here. Which is they're all small scale. Which is incredible. If you had to ballpark me, so you've got 280 growers. Give me any kind of acreage guess on what that actually looks like of peonies in production for flower production specifically in Alaska at the moment. Oh, I wish I would. Um, they there is some research done every year, a survey on acreage and number of stems and number of plants, but I don't have it in front of me at the moment, and I failed to look it up, but. I can email you. Yeah. The, well, I think what's so fascinating about it is here is this really beloved flower that everybody knows, right? I think peony and like rose and hydrangea are probably like the three go-to if you, people who don't know anything about flowers or gardening or plants. If you ask them to name a flower, it'd probably be one of the three. And mm -hmm. for so long, they're a short blooming crop uh, grown either in the Southern Hemisphere and their version of uh, Southern Hemisphere spring or in the lower 48 states. The, the identification that they were blooming at this time when no one else in the world 
was actually producing them, that research you mentioned, did it start to look at it from that almost economic advantage standpoint that, okay, not only do we have these beautiful peonies, which we'll get into the advantages of them up there, but you had them at a time where the market needed them, but nobody else had them. Yeah, it was definitely approached from an economic standpoint as well, because of course, when the Dutch have their peonies, millions and millions are available, the price is lower. They've worked so hard over the past decades trying to find out how to store them well so that they can extend their season into July, August, September. But And they can store them for a period of time, but to have fresh peonies during that period of time, they said, you know, they're available, they're fresh, people will pay hand over fist for these, which was kind of the the blessing and the curse at the same time that they mentioned people pay hand over fist. And um, so they said, you need to investigate this and try to get what people want into their hands at a time where it's unavailable. They're willing to pay more for it. Who starts the cooperative that you have now? What year ballpark does that begin? Is that initiated mm-hmm. by a group of small-scale growers? Is the state involved at all? Are there any agencies involved at all? Or is it really just a grower-driven initiative? Mm-hmm. Um, our cooperative started with some research in the winter of 2014. And it was about six of the small-scale farmers that said we need an outlet for these stems that are going to be in production in the next three to five years. And at the time, there were three other peony cooperatives and a distributor set up already available, but they were in different regions. The distributor was in my region. The other three cooperatives were um, a six-hour drive north, a four-hour drive south, or a two-and-a-half-hour drive south. Not feasible to aggregate sales when they're that far away from you. So there's this so moment. So, some- so there's a moment too there where a lot of people start growing peonies. Okay, so we're at that place. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are like, oh, this is a good idea, right? But then Mm -hmm. there's, it sounds like quite a few efforts to try to solve either some of the supply chain challenges of having that happen, the transportation logistics of having that happen. And Mm -hmm. is there a moment where as like a grower, people are like, hold on a second. Like this is, we're all growing these peonies. Cool. Great. They're beautiful. They're awesome. But wow, we, we've got some real challenges here in both marketing the peonies, distributing the peonies and selling the peonies. How does that come into conversation just amongst the grower community? And then at the same time, you have different grower groups and regions all trying to figure out the problem it sounds like separately from each other and maybe the communication is a challenge at that point yeah well that's a whole lot of questions in one Steve. right exactly Um, no well and i I think that's one of the things martha this is um you know one of the reasons why i wanted to have this conversation with you is i think a lot of small scale growers uh across the world really are at this place where, hey, you know, you're growing this and I'm growing this and maybe we're growing the same thing and all that. But the the business of flowers is super entrenched. I, I feel like that's one of the things yeah. that doesn't get talked about. 
the industry of flowers, be it the Dutch auction house, be it in the last 30 years, the South American production, it's a real thing, people. Like, it's a real thing. This isn't like, um, you know, a new phenomenon, the world of cut flowers. So is that at that time, do you, do you sort of get that feel amongst all the growers that maybe some of those realities are all sort of um, accumulating at that time? Absolutely. And that's that's why we started the cooperative. We all realized pretty early on, we can't do it all. We need the support of each other to figure out the shipping and the marketing and the logo and the branding and, and everything and be an advocate and a larger voice to advocate because the shipping is a uh, a major thorn on our side every single year. And we ship majority through FedEx and air cargo at the moment. And we all know how that goes sometimes with FedEx and storms and the central hub. Um, and then we've worked with a couple, we actually do partner with the other cooperatives in the state to try to get, um, we get a lot of grants funded together to get research on better cold chain management and better lean flow practices and how do we do our taxes better together? And so the information gets disseminated as a group to all the different cooperatives, and then the cooperatives distribute it in their different regions. And our statewide association, the Alaska Peony Growers Association, they do all the funding for research. They don't do marketing. Um, they do the research and education. They host our state um, conference every year. So they bring up people from FedEx and Alaska Airlines and I think they're also catching on that we need better shipping facilities. So they're building more cold storage at the airport. And it's not just for flowers. It's also for the, the seafood that comes through there as well. And because with the seafood, they kind of monopolize everything at the exact same time that we need cold storage because there's so much seafood. So they're going to build larger facilities. And um, the Growers School at, or the Growers Association actually hosts a conference. And that's starting this Thursday up in Fairbanks. and all these industry professionals and advocates, they come up and tell us bits and pieces of different stages of production, whether it's test management, um, which routes to select, and all the way down into sales marketing and front of branding and logos. So it's not something that we can learn over one year, and it's not something we can do individually, which is why we started the cooperative model, and it's worked out beautifully for us. And I really enjoy it. And even though there are members, there are folks that are living in our region and growing peonies in our region, if they're not members of the cooperative, we may not be able to sell their stems, but we still put on workshops and classes and produce educational materials for them and share all the information that you learn from grants with them. So it's, some people might call it a competition, but I don't see it as that. And the one thing that I've heard over and over and over again is there's room for all of us on the market and I've never had a problem bumping into selling to another person that another cooperative has already tried to sell to because they're honest and they say, oh, already buy from so-and-so. That's fantastic. Thank you for supporting an Alaska-grown product. Enjoy your peonies this year. So, And it's not common for me to run into people that are currently buying peonies from another supplier because there is so much demand. You just have to find where you fit, have a great marketing plan in place, and I don't want to say the peonies sell themselves, but they are beautiful. Yeah, so well, and they do a great job selling and, themselves, but they don't answer the phone. <laughs> well, and what? Boy, that is a true statement. Uh, one of the things that I have been, I guess, concerned about is, and, and I think to your credit and to your entire group's credit, 
uh, both your yourselves and the Seattle wholesale um, flower market have been pointed to as uh, two great successes of uh, a cooperative effort by local growers to really uh, both brand, market, and sell cut flowers. But somewhere in here, there's also been some confusion about what is that? You know, what is a cooperative? You know, so few of us um, in our business or personal lives really come across it. Could you just give us a rough outline of the cooperative? It's a true cooperative of growers. Uh, do you have a board? Does the board meet regularly? Um, how do you look at new members wanting to join? Um, just give us a brief skeleton view of the cooperative that you have. Yeah, and I think the reason cooperatives are confusing is because they are so varied. There's so many options to become a cooperative, which is why we spent over 18 months getting the bones laid for our business and figuring out exactly what we wanted to do. And we made a very concrete mission and vision statement because there's so many options with cooperatives that it's really easy to get taken off track. And then you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, wait a second. This isn't why we started this cooperative. I started it for this reason. So everything that we do, we ask ourselves, does this satisfy the reason that we started this cooperative five years ago? And those regions are those reasons are sales, education, and resource sharing for farmers. So we are actually a true farmers cooperative. We are owned and governed and operated by members. Every farm has one vote on everything. We're governed by five board of directors members. Every single board of directors uh, member is a farmer. Most of them were the initial incorporators. Uh, two of them have since joined since initial incorporation and joined the board with us. The board meets every single week of every single month of every single year except for October and November. Then we take a breather and have our minds reset for clarity, and then we go back to every single week of every single month. Um, so it's a lot of work by the board of directors, and we flip-flop. Um, every other meeting is also inclusive of every member, and we do all this via video conferencing because we're spread out, and a lot of people travel on field trips and that sort of thing. And um, Well, I think that's such, an, the, that's such an important part of it is that communication because one of the things that I think clearly, and this is a real agricultural comment before we started recording, we actually were having this conversation a little bit, that in the world of ag, many times farmers have been um, subject to wholesalers, distributors, people like that coming in and offering them uh, some kind of supply chain or sales chain to get the product into the market, but those growers have not had any say. Those farmers have not had any say in it, and that group comes to them and is just like, hey, we're going to take 20%, we're going to upcharge 30%, 40%, sometimes even, obviously, more than that. The communication there sounds like you guys have really made that a priority and as you said staying on mission so as growers you're not losing that connection with where the crop is going 
what does the market look like? What are the things we need to strengthen? What are our weaknesses? Would you say that's probably a pretty accurate view of why that's so important for you? Oh, it's totally, yeah. You're spot on. Without ever visiting, it sounds like you've attended several of our meetings. Um, and the other facet to that is that since the farmers are retaining the governance of the association, the the cooperative itself as a business is run as a not-for-profit. and all of the money is returned back to the farmers in proportion to what they've sold. So the co-op retains enough to pay its bills and keep enough for the pre the coming year um, expenses in marketing and budget. And then the rest of it is distributed to all members. You also, I do think it is a true cooperative. Well, and I, and the other thing that you mentioned, which I think is so important in this, um, and I've used this, uh, a metaphor slash analogy a few times in the last couple of months. I've seen so many farmers that to be a good one, sometimes it is head down. You are, it's so all encompassing. The work is so challenging. It is so both physically and many times mentally taxing. I, I say to my friends in the corporate world, you know, a lot of the thinking there is, you know, between competitors and we're trying to outwit, outthink. And I've always joked with them. I said, try that occasionally with weather and mother nature. It doesn't work out so well. Mm. You know, your, your best laid yeah. plans of mice and men kind of thinking. The, the ability for farmers to keep their heads down has been dangerous so often to the farmer, to the grower, that there's people that will take advantage of the fact that it's so time consuming and all consuming that they come in and profitize off of the farmer. Your efforts that the group has done on marketing is something I just don't see a lot of people talking about. And if you look through the last 30 or 40 years of uh, ag and farming, you know, got milk, the California raisins, uh, you know, there's real glaring advertising examples of it. How important has that been to the group, uh, creating the branding? of the Alaskan peony itself as a thing to bring awareness to? The, um, I cannot take credit for the branding of the Alaska peony industry. I don't feel like we had a big hand in that, just mainly supporting that brand and that image. But every year at our conference and in the back of our minds, the Alaska Peony Growers Association, our education association, they're always talking about the brand of the Alaska peony. And when you ship a bad box, it reflects poorly on the rest of us growers that are sticking with these quality guidelines and these growing guidelines and production guidelines. So we're not, our feet aren't held to the fire because there's no repercussions except the glaring looks of your neighbor who said you shipped that bad box and now we can't ship to this state because it's bad reputation. But um, on a minimal budget, I feel like the Alaska Peony Growers Association has done an incredible job marketing and branding and getting the word out about Alaska peonies being available because the first five to eight years was a struggle of all the florists said, oh, July wedding, August wedding, peonies aren't available. And they would just sub with garden roses and hydrangeas. And so they spent the first five to eight years saying, they are available. They're from us. We can get them to you. Here's how you order. So that word, I feel like, has finally been spread well enough that people know that they can get them during July and August. And now it's just a maintenance and a growth of the market and saying, would you like 100 this year instead of 50? 
Last year you took 2,000. How about 5,000 this year? And I can help you market them and push them in a product um, classification this way. Or if I bundle them this way for you, I think they'd sell better. So it's tweaking our customers' desires and what they can push now versus getting the word out that they're available. You mentioned that it took that time just to bring awareness. And that's something that people just, sometimes we just don't get. That there's this awareness that people just don't know. That's it. It's not their fault. Why would they know? Right? Mm-hmm. So the, the effort has to be mm-hmm. approached like that sometimes. Why would a consumer know? There's no reason for them. So there's that work mm-hmm. that gets done to help bring awareness. By the time the awareness gets there, where it's at a pretty healthy spot, and you've had so many small-scale growers put the, as we can talk about here in a minute, the time investment into a peony being harvested. Are there people that you see get frustrated along the way? Do you see growers who uh, struggle with the outletting of the product? Have you seen an attrition of some of those people that in like the mid-early 2000s didn't get to the place you're at now with it? Because you had so many people, it sounded like, who thought of it as a good idea, how many were able to stick with it, were able to go through that both time that it takes for peonies as a plant to mature, but also for the economy to mature with it? Mm-hmm. Um, our, the, the group that does the, the annual survey of peony growers, I haven't seen the report for last year, so I'm not up to date on the numbers, but I believe over the trend, um, in like 14 to 15, it was growing and then it stabilized and it tabletopped and even dropped. And I've seen this year quite a few farms, whole farms for sale, um, either the entire farm for sale, just the plants for sale, the farm land and cabin for sale, just the plants on the land, but not the cabin. Um, people are trying to lease their farm out or lease their land. So the honeymoon stage is definitely over. People have realized I grew great flowers, but I didn't find a market for them. And this is way more work than I wanted in my retirement because many of the growers up here, this is a second job or retirement job for them. Um, and there's been startup businesses that have decided this was a great idea. We'll try it out for a few years. Unfortunately, it didn't work. And then it closed. There's been other businesses that have started up and taken their place. Some cooperatives have even had to take a step back or um, reevaluate the way that they run their business. So it's been very difficult across the board, even if you have found success, finding a way to keep that success because it's so fickle. And I don't know if it's just because we're up here in Alaska all by ourselves, isolated from everything and everything is hard up here. So it makes Mm -hmm. flower farming even more difficult. Or the fact that we are new, we don't have generations of information available to us on all facets of flower farming. Maybe it's just a combination of it all. I feel like we've done a great job taking what we have been given, but there's still so many mountains to climb to become efficient in having a really good reputation of a consistent product available on the, the global market or even just a domestic market. I, I wouldn't be doing a good job if I didn't give you a really tough question here, Martha. One of the talking mm-hmm. points about peonies that I often get brought up to me is I know 
when peonies are either coming up out of the southern hemisphere or early spring in uh, northern hemisphere out of Europe because it's brought up to me that they're Trader Joe's. And Trader Joe's has them uh, six stems for like $8 or six stems for $10. What do you see as the mass market in particular grocery is obviously the, the easiest one to pick on that how that impacts end consumers view of something like the peony and clearly you mentioned the work the effort that it takes for any kind of farming but in particular you have unique challenges in alaska that when you see that how do you get that feedback does that hit you guys on the grower side or in the cooperative side at all Mm, kind of it's it's a different product um, so the Trader Joe's peonies are like the size of a nickel. And so they sell for a much lower price. They're able to get into the hands of consumers and it might even be a benefit. I mean, if you walk into Trader Joe's and you're willing to drop $10 on six peonies, that is a good thing. I mean, if you see more flowers in people's houses, like you said, with, um, P. Allen Smith, if, if gardening was going well, you would see more gardens. If cut flowers are going well, people are going to be having them on their table every day. So. If Trader Joe's is filling their niche with getting smaller peonies into the hands of people who still love flowers but didn't plan on walking in there to buy peonies but definitely walked out with them, then I see that as a good thing. And I won't be selling my giant flowers to Trader Joe's for them to sell for six or six stems for $10, but I can sell them to somebody else who needs giant flowers and who's willing to pay that price for giant flowers. And so if you have the market segmentation, if we're all still bringing awareness to the availability of peonies, the timing, and Trader Joe's also has the ability to allow people to have them on their table every day versus just a once a year or once a lifetime wedding. I hope it's not once a year. Once a lifetime wedding, um, I think it's a good thing. Yeah, people well, should have peonies accessible to them. Well, and I think that's one of the real uh, transitions maybe that I'm hopeful that we're going to see happen with uh, cut flower production in the United States as it maybe heads in a more boutique direction is elevating the brand narrative and being able to make those distinctions between the peony at Trader Joe's versus the peonies that you're growing and producing that come out of Alaska. And you let us right into it, Martha, so I appreciate it. You said the size of a nickel at Trader Joe's. One of the things that I think so many and consumers may not be aware of is one of the things I joke about so often is the peonies you're able to grow in Alaska. They're not a nickel. They're extraordinary. So, you know, on a side-by-side kind of thing, like when you as a grower, you get an opportunity to sort of step back and look at that and be like, wow, like the, the peony that we do produce here is of such a higher quality and caliber than maybe that peony that we see in mass market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course it's variety. Um, the Duchess are a little bit smaller and the Red Charms are actually giant, but they're coming from the land of the midnight sun where we grow 2,000 pound pumpkins. So it just, the, the peonies are big, the pumpkins are big, the zucchinis are massive. Um, yeah, the colors are very extremely saturated. It's also been a challenge to try to communicate the different colors that come out of here because sometimes a white that is a white that is a white from every other part of the world 
becomes blush from Alaska. And um, a light pink or a blush that is blush in other parts of the world is definitely a medium pink or a bubblegum pink up here. So the colors are just a bit more saturated, and I think they're lovely. A blush Festiva Maxima is the most beautiful thing I've ever laid my eyes on. But if you're hoping for a white, that's not what you want. And so I, as a sales manager, have to work really hard to communicate the differences with people. And some people want to use a peony as a boutonniere. They're not getting them from Alaska as a boutonniere. They're going to be um, one peony on top of the cake or three peonies in a bouquet, not five. Because they're so big, they're like a King Puglia. They just take over and they're a statement piece and they're heavy and they're fluffy and fragrant and gorgeous and all the qualities that a peony should be. But I just make sure that when I'm communicating with newer customers that haven't purchased Alaska peonies before, they do know the difference. And well, and that's the sort of they realize that those aren't at Trader Joe's. That's a fascinating fact of it, right? That you're growing this really superior product, like like in all ways. It's one of the things we joked before we started recording. My friend Dr. A. Alan Armitage is always going on rants and telling people not to grow peonies in the South because they just don't look as good. But that's sort of why, you know, you have this incredibly unique climate and incredibly short grow season that enables these peonies to store up so much energy to produce flower with. And then you have these long uh, daylight periods that produce this remarkable flower for you personally. When's that first time for you? Like, like obviously you're passionate about flowers and peony growing. You sort of had that moment where you go, wow, this is the first time you may have even ever seen a peony in that same kind of way that you're describing when people order them of how big and fragrant and incredible that they actually are. Mm -hmm. So I'm not a florist, disclaimer. So I have not worked with peonies from all over the world to directly compare. Um, I've only been able to travel to wholesalers and see them in their boxes at the time that they've arrived to see for myself. Um, so when I see my field of peonies, they look normal to me. And when I see an 11-inch bloom, it looks normal to me. So I go on the narrative of they aren't normal, and this is why they're not normally this large. And for the most part, it's a shame. I do see my field as a commodity. I have 5,000 roots, 50,000 flowers. I need to move them as quick as possible. I need to, you know, I'm drowned in fat with my field. And my dad actually works with me. And my dad always remembers to stop. He grabs my shoulders and he says, look, you grow flowers to make people happy in weddings. Don't ever forget that. Don't lose sight of what you're doing because it's so easy, like you say, to just keep your head down and focus on the pests, the nutrition, the amount of sunlight, the quantities of irrigation versus the end result, which is someone's getting a flower to play with on the East Coast, and then somebody just absolutely smiles and tears up when they see their entire bouquet, and people get married. So that, I need to stop looking at them as a commodity and more as a as what they are. Well, and that's one of the the key narratives I think um, for so many people, and I can totally relate to what you're saying. You know, when I was running the nursery in Oregon, uh, the way I came into it was this like hardcore plant enthusiast. And then you, you're so in it that that plant that you used to look at in a catalog or a magazine or online that you used to just marvel at before you had it, now you've got a row of 10,000 of them. And you just start, like you said, to, to look at it differently. 
But I think one of the the keys for raising awareness and branding narrative is, as you mentioned, that it is still magic. It is still incredible. It's not something that people see. When you describe to me your your festiva at that size, that that would I would be all the googly eyes over at Martha. <laughs> I grow it here, and it's it's probably a three inch. Four inch, if I'm lucky. This year, we're probably going to be at three inch with our warm temperatures. So mm. when, when as a group and yourself included, when the cooperative thinks about it and we're really communicating sometimes to two groups, and this is a challenge that I don't think is talked about enough in the cut flower trade, we're, we're marketing to our wholesale client, be that florist, be that wholesaler that floral designer, but we're also still marketing end consumer too. And that's different. The the narrative and messaging and what the one is looking for versus the other. Do you guys talk about that in that kind of way that we we have these two distinct groups? One is an economic centric group sometimes or transportation or more practically based group in the wholesale side of it. But then we also have this consumer group that we still want to have them see that magic. And we want them to want that flower in that event or just on their table, like you said, just for a, a happy Tuesday. Do you have those conversations internally amongst the cooperative still? We do. And every year we look at it because we have the the pie chart and it says this much of our income came from this segment, this much came from that segment. If we take away this segment, how are we going to make up that income within that segment? But lucky for us, I feel like the plant produces what the different segments need. So on every plant, you're going to have some huge, some medium, some small. If you harvest those, you can find outlets for all three of those sizes, and they all have different needs. So the end consumer is going to want to pay or is able to pay the most because they're not going straight through a retailer, to use your terms. And so they're able to pay the $6 a stem for the most giant premium buds on the plant. But that's not something going to produce a handful of those. The middle of the road goes to all the florists because they're a more standard size, five, six inch bloom. And that's what they're used to working with. And they pay, you know, the middle of the road price because they have to mark it up to their customer because they're adding value. And the re-wholesalers, they want, they're very sensitive to price, shipping. I mean, just cutting the price five cents from shipping air cargo versus FedEx can make the difference between a sale or not a sale because they're very sensitive because their price has to be marked up sometimes twice to get to the end consumer. And if I'm selling them for $3, they can't mark it up twice. So each segment is important to our cooperative for its different reasons. And the end user who's paying the most wants to send me a picture of her dress so I can match, match the exact white to her dress. The wholesaler says white, send me 10,000 white. So I have the ability to send 5,000 of this white, 5,000 of that white. So the labor is associated proportionally with the price that they're willing to pay. And as long as we don't lose sight of that, I feel like we can fulfill all three markets well currently. Maybe when our production and we take on more members increases, we won't be able to fulfill as many orders for the small um, direct consumer as I'd like to. But that's, again, the beauty of the cooperative. Some of our members are really small. And she loves putting those amazing touches into the box. She likes her stickers and her ribbon and her notes, her handwritten notes to the brides because it makes their day so special. And 
they're paying higher, so they should have a beautifully packed box. I love packing boxes of of 5,000 going out the door to the airport because I'm busy, and as much as I love my flowers, I don't love packing them. (laughs) I don't like standing in my cooler where it's 32 degrees packing flowers. So each farmer is able to help with that facet as well, which I love the cooperative for. Is there, as we transition over to grower and plant talk, is there a particular challenge as a grower that we talked about the the positive and the upside of peonies in the Alaska climate? Is there something that is like, and almost every grower has this for any crop that they raise, the thing that you're like every year you're either worried about either in relation to temperatures or just pest or problem that you experience? Mm-hmm. I think the most worrisome is um, in particular regions, there's the threat of the spring um, or even the midwinter fluctuation, the yo-yo of temperature. So peonies, as long as they're they're frozen, they stay frozen. They've got like a nice six-inch layer of snow on them. It could get 45 below and they are fine. As long as they have the snow and it doesn't go 45 below, 45 above, 45 below, 45 above, because then they saw they refreeze, they saw they refreeze, the cells burst, they die. So there's been a great clearing of farmers in the past five-ish years when our climate has really drastically changed and caused this exact phenomenon. And the first year it happened, we were all dumbfounded. Where did this come from? Why did five-year-old plants all of a sudden die? Why are they not coming back up? So a lot of research was done into, could it have been too much water? Was it a pest that we didn't see? Was it poor nutrients? And everyone always talks about how hardy peonies are. And I truly do believe they are hardy, but they will not withstand the freeze-thaw cycles that certain regions of our state has and therefore are not good growing regions. So for example, Palmer, is where a lot of the agriculture happens in my region. Hay can grow in oats and different crops, but peonies do not thrive in Palmer because it's super windy, the snow doesn't stay, and the temperature fluctuations are very, very poor for growing peonies. So a lot of the farms in Palmer have collapsed, unfortunately. But just north of Palmer, where my farm is, there's a shift in climate. So the snow stays, it's not windy. And it gets cold, but it stays cold. Um, so if we could just beg and plead with Mother Nature to not throw any hail at us this year and to stop fluctuating the temperature, I feel like a lot of our worries would be subsided. Is there particular varieties that you trialed over time that showed that they they just performed better? Uh, clearly, in a world of peony cultivars where there's thousands were there particular varieties that you could share with us that were like, wow, these are rock stars in performance here? Mm-hmm. I think the one that does the worst is the coral family. Coral, I think it's just too cold up here for anything from the coral family. We haven't had a lot of success. But the ones that do well, <clears throat> are they typically do well in the lower 48 as well. Sarah Bernhardt, Festiva, um, the Duchess. Um, some of the more obscure varieties, I've, I grow Mary Jo Lagar, which is a really beautiful dark fuchsia red, like a Felix Krauss. Felix does really well up here. Um, let's see. Red Charm does great. 
the buds are just, they're like teacups. They're so amazing. Uh, Bowl of Cream does really well. Marie Lemoyne, Peche, or Pecher, depending on what part of the world you're from. I go, um, I go Peche. I go Peche, just for future reference people. Peche. I go Peche. Okay. Are there, is there any on your, I think every grower has this. Do you plant out new varieties still? Are you at that place of it? Or are you so production focused now that you don't want to waste that ground? No, I mean, digging up mature peonies is so heart-wrenching to start over. But it's like any other cut flower grower. If this variety, I have a particular variety that doesn't do well as a cut flower. It's amazing in the garden. This doesn't do well as a cut flower. So I've been trying to convince myself to go dig up 200 of them and replant them with something. And so this year is the year to dig them up. Um, I did dig up some two years ago and replanted with a different red um, to trial a different. I just don't like the shape of a red charm. So I'm trying to pretend to see if I like that shape better. I only got um, 50 of them to trial and see how well they'll do before I plant out a few hundred. But I do have what I call my pet row, and every year I do buy varieties that just make me happy or that I want to trial out and see how they're going to do before buying a whole bunch of them. I tried Armani. I bought it from DeVroom, and it's such a stunning flower, but for whatever reason, it doesn't do well in my region. So I'm glad I only bought 50 of them before trialing 200. So I do, I stick with the workhorses, the Sarahs and the Festivas and the Duchess, but I do want to have some pleasure in my, my garden as well and my farm. And so I try some different varieties here and there and still trying to find the exact one that I want to replace the, the one with. Right now, I think this summer it's going to be vegetables and just, um, work on green manure in the soil before replanting a new variety into that, that area I'm going to dig up this year. Did you have in the, the talk of peonies that's always sort of lost is there's this ramp up in the plant maturing? and the plant getting to a place where it's actually cuttable and producing stem count. When running your own farm specifically, what did you do during that offset? Did you just accept that as part of the growth cycle? Did you have other crops that you grew that at least produce revenue throughout that period where you're Mm -hmm. waiting for that three, four year ramp up to peony production? Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, I didn't do anything else. Um, I I wanted to specialize. There's other members of our cooperative that also grow dahlias and honey and, and that sort of thing. But I wanted to specialize so that I could know my plants inside and out. I could just look at my field and see what they need visually. So I planted succession. So I have a 5,000 root field and I planted 1,000 the first year to make sure I wasn't going to make a huge mistake. They came up just fine. So then I planted another 2,000 and then the following year another 2,000. So my field slowly ramped up and so that I could gauge my effort and my labor needs and requirements and still have time to invest in a cooler and invest in proper irrigation so that I didn't have $100,000 going out the door in year one and waiting for another five years for me to recoup that $100,000 I put in. So it was spread out over the years. Um, and throughout those three years, it gave me time to build the cooperative in our market and our branding and image and really work out the kinks. And during those first couple of years, we sold some at farmers markets locally just to have a little bit of income um, to buy new supplies and fertilizers and irrigation and that sort of thing. But now I've, I started with peonies and I'm still sticking with peonies. And I like that I have the monoculture 
because as much as a peony is a peony, it's it's not. <laughs> One peony reacts completely different to circumstances than the other peony. Completely, so it's been ag- fun to learn the challenges. Of completely agree with that. As we wrap up here, I had a couple of personal questions to throw at you that I'm curious about. One, how about Ito peonies or intersectional peonies? I, I would my my mm-hmm. horticulture brain wants to tell me that they would maybe not love it because they have tree peony parentage, which isn't quite as cold hardy. Have you tried? Have other people tried? How have they performed? Um, they don't do great. I do have a few, and they're super short. They are not prolific. They take absolutely forever to produce a bud at all. I accidentally got two in a in a couple of crates of roots that I ordered. And for the longest time, I thought it was fertilizer damage because the foliage was so bizarre. It's fuzzy and it's short and it repels water. Finally, four years later, it bloomed. And I'm like, oh, you're not an oddball. You're an Ito and I love you for it. They're just, I don't think that I'd ever grow them on any large scale, but I have moved them over to my pet row. So I wouldn't suggest growing any Itos on a large scale in Alaska. Well, and they're one of those flowers. You can eat, there's so many good ones, you know, copper kettle. There's a ton of beautiful coloration in them. But they t- if, if people think herbaceous peonies are slow to establish, wait till you see these things. Um, and that is one of those other questions I had for you. How do you balance when you see something? This is something I think you're a perfect person to ask. There's new varieties that will even hit the wholesale market. Uh, salmon etched is one that comes to mind. Lemon chiffon. Yeah. And the price is astronomical on the root starts Mm -hmm. sometimes. Do you even consider those? Do you just go, hey, listen, that's a $50 wholesale root start. Like I'm just not going there. Mm -hmm. How do you, have you looked at those? Do you balance that at all in your mind? Um, We did actually try lemon chiffon um, last year. We had two growers that bought a couple of crates and planted them out and we sold them last year. And the demand was there. As soon as we had them, they were sold. People wanted them. But it's, it is cost prohibitive on a large scale. And them just trialing them and seeing what the market would be was a fun experiment. But I do not see us growing a large scale of pastel against or etched salmon. And they're $350 roots. They're fun to have. But we're definitely not going to be selling them wholesale. If we did have them, they go straight to the, the florist or the end user. It's it's not really on my radar to grow any of those specialty ones large scale. If I grow specialty ones, they're just for me. <laughs> now, here's what we're going to do, Martha. So my peonies will probably be blooming in like two weeks if this weather continues on oh this pace. <laughs> so the uh, I do, and this is something I don't – I actually plant uh, the variety early scout. And I, uh-huh. I plant early scout to be exactly that. Uh, it, it works very well by its name. It typically gets some kind of frost damage based upon where I'm at as far as low lying goes. But I do like it because it gives me this literal early scout. Like when do I think the rest of the peonies will bloom? Well, this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. When my peonies are in bloom, I'm going to take measuring tape out. and I'm going to measure. Okay. And then when you start with your peonies in bloom, you're going to do the same thing. And people's minds might be blown. And it's one of these moments where I say so often to people that have gotten into uh, small-scale cut flower production that, you know, sometimes gardening is really fun because 
the peonies that you're going to produce compared to mine are just going to be better. You know, if it was my garden, I, I'm not going to feel bad about that. I'm going to be like, it's my garden. I don't care. Mm-hmm. But if I was running it as a business, I'd be a little bit like, man, your peonies are so much better than mine. And that affects mm-hmm. cost, um, you know, of what you can get. We already mentioned the Trader Joe's peonies. Do you think as we move forward as someone who both uh, is actively and intimately involved in the cooperative itself and as a grower yourself, that maybe over this next two, three years is maybe some of the reality of small scale cut flower production is settling in on people that maybe folks are going to get a, a little bit more specific and focused on what they can grow best moving forward and, and maybe not such a, you know, grow a lot of a little kind of thought process at all. Mm-hmm. And I think more so as our industry matures, because originally we were told grow a whole bunch of varieties so that if there's some issue, you don't have all your eggs in one basket, um, which sounds logical, but they're all right next to each other in the field. So when you think about it from a practical standpoint, it's not real logical. And so I planted out one pink, Sarah Bernhardt, because Sarah Bernhardt is tried and true, and I only have to learn one pink. Um, So I think our industry, is it definitely needs to specialize even further so that we can become really good at what we do instead of trying to run around with chickens with their heads cut off chasing every single sale. And really be true to the values and set clear goals with yourself so that you know you can say no to someone who wants you to ship 10 stems. And because I'm two hours away from FedEx, my farm is completely off grid. I am rural Alaska. So I should be able to say no to 10 stems because it's just not feasible for me. Like you said, you can't make a delivery of 10 dahlias. I can't deliver 10 peonies. So set real goals and realistic and stick to them. Um, I don't think people need to be weeded out. I think if they're adaptable and forward thinking, they won't get weeded out as long as Mother Nature plays nicely. I think people with a good head on their shoulders can be successful up here growing peonies. When does your season start? Our first bloom, come up give or mid-May. Take. First bloom is usually around the 1st of July. Um, last year it was June 24th, and year before that it was July 4th. So we had two really oddball years back to back. But I always say that we can start shipping around the 1st of July. Well, I will be expecting a box, Martha. That's what we're going with. I, I've got to see these peonies for myself in person delivered here. Have you ever seen Elsa Sass? Yeah, seen it in a garden it's, setting, but not from Alaska. It's a shorter plant. Um, so I think we can maybe get like a 19 inch stem off it if we cut it to the ground, maybe 21, but the buds are so amazing. And the flowers themselves are bigger than a, a person's chest. I mean, I get four, four and a half inch buds off this plant. That is what I am sending you. And that- also sass and some of the blush festivas and just set them on your table. And I hope that you remember it for the rest of your life. I absolutely will. Cross ties of these old abandoned rails Wondering about the stories they could tell 
I think of all the weight I carry on my own And I try to empathize with all they bear There's something about the sun that brings me back to life It's just like staring in your eyes And I can't tell you what it is I'm doing here All I know is nothing's felt so right So let me stay Feeling this way I never want to leave this state of Everybody's putting down this brand new hammer, but they're just whispers way up here. They got no rhyme. For the reason why it's wrong But there's still this burning in my ears Some folks say I probably shouldn't live this way But the last time I checked This was my life For you to decide